You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by Peter Badger with Farmfolio. So I'm really excited today. We have Peter on the show talking about ag investing. So that's a topic that we hadn't heard about. Uh, hadn't, I certainly don't recall interviewing anybody about the topic, but um, always looking for diversification plays, always looking to learn n- new niches and new markets. And so excited to have them on the show. Peter, can you, uh, first of all, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. No, thanks, Sterling. Pleasure to be here. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Give us a background, where you came from, what you went through, what you're doing today? Yeah, the, the simple summary is uh, 18 years on Wall Street um, in the U.S., kind of drank the Kool-Aid, learned everything about, you know, trading, stocks, bonds, research, derivatives, CDO, the housing crash. Um, and then in 2008, I exited at Wall Street and started my own tech firm in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, went through an eight-year crazy journey, VC, Series A, Series B, got acquired. And so I kind of sat there at the start of 2014 and became a full-time real estate investor. And that's when my journey started into, you know, deep um, real estate and ag overall. Awesome. So did you, uh, it sounds like maybe you didn't start in ag. Did you, is there, is there another? Right. So, so I think, so I think the important point is the pivot, you know, because I got a nice, so I'm very open about, you know, what happened with my startup. Uh, VC took 90% of the money. That's what happens in these deals. And then, you know, so I had a few million bucks left. And I was like, okay, how do I keep it? Because it's been so hard to earn it. And the funny thing, Sterling, is that I find many of us who are entrepreneurs, we spend so much effort making the money. We don't put the same effort trying to keep it and grow it. Sure. Uh, and so I went to my Silicon Valley peers and I said, listen, guys, and they're all guys, by the way, mostly, um, you know, how do you retain your capital and grow it? And they said, Peter, the lesson to learn is that we make our money in public and private company stock. And then we take that money and invest it in hard assets, real estate, agriculture, forestry, other businesses sometimes. And, uh, and that was my journey. So I, I kind of re- reached out to somebody. I'm like, okay, how do I begin in real estate? You know, I had my own home. I had a single family rented behind my home. I bought in 2010, but I really didn't have a, you know, detailed knowledge of how to invest on a consistent basis. So I just reached out to the closest person to me. You start in single family. My most people, um, I bought 21 single family homes in 18 months. Real estate made a massive mistake. Uh, you should have bought two or three and then gone to multifamily. I didn't realize that because I was with a more single family group of people. So I then divested of all my single families, went to two multifamilies, bought them myself. So um, did you now, are you still in California? I moved to Florida because I lost 52% awesome. of my wealth in that tech company. In the, in the tech company? In the tech company sale, federal oh. and California taxes were 52% of that outcome. Vowed <laughs> like, never to suffer that again. Yeah, I don't think you're alone in that. There's a there's a great migration going on in the country right now around that's that right. specific uh, conversation. Uh, and I was I was asking because I was curious if you bought the 21 single family houses in California versus Florida. Yeah. No, so I went to some turnkey provider. 
I bought them in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Jacksonville, Gainesville, Florida, Houston, Texas. I went out of market. And I actually ended up with 21 homes and like six property managers managing remote. And it was a disaster. So uh, I can't stand the one. Um, <laughs> I'm just joking to my property manager and listen. Um, so why turnkey? Um, because I didn't have the time. I was like, you know, you, you can't be it. You, need, you either need to be in the place to do it from a rehab value add standpoint, but you need to find somebody who has already done it for you is presenting you a turnkey asset with a property management in place with a tenant in place. And that was really my early situation. So did you not, did you not get the cash flow that you expected from these turnkey properties? I, I did. So you think about 21 homes, I put about a 1.5 million in capital because those people listening who don't realize that, you know, if we're in the big markets, New York, San Francisco, these kind of places, sure. you know, in Gainesville, Florida at the time in 2014, um, you can buy a three bed, two bath, two car garage home for like a hundred grand. Right. Uh, and so I put a million and a half in capital, 13 for cash, eight mortgaged Fannie Mae, 75% loan to value. Um, and I was getting, you know, in the first year, because they're all tenanted or finished, 12 grand a month, passively. Fantastic. And then the year ended, all of a sudden, you know, a few tenants left, someone stole an air conditioning unit, my 12 went to seven and a half. It just was up and down. And then like every now and again, the cash flow was still on the mortgage properties. It was, it, it just declined over a two year period. Sure. Sure. Been through that. Classic. So, so you sold them all. Did you sell them all for more than you paid for them? I did. Luckily, you know, a rising market floats all boats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was you, fortunate. You it's hard to screw up in 2018. No, I know. <laughs> no, so I basically started picking them off and doing uh, 1031s into multifamily to multifamily buildings. Um, so it was it was a lot of effort, a lot of work, but yeah, it was amazing education. Um, and then yeah, so I moved to Tampa, Florida, did a couple of buildings in Clearwater and uh, Tampa Central, and yeah, it was. Um, but the th the thing I realized actually was that buying your own multifamily and trying to scale up. Because I did a seven unit and a 12 unit to start. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get a 100 unit and 150 unit. And I had a bunch of friends who were going to tip in and do a syndication style. And I mean, the market just went crazy. I was getting outbid on every other property. It was just, sure. you know, cap rate compressed. Yeah. And I and freaked they, out. They've, they've continued to compress. Since <laughs> I, decided, I don't even want anything to do. Three years ago, when you decided I don't want anything to do with it, it's only gotten worse since then. But, but here's the thing, studying. I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And at the time, I wasn't surrounded by the right mentors to tell me what to do in that situation. So we were outbid on 30 buildings in a row. Oh, wow. That's a lot of effort, you know, a year of work in that market. And so I was like, well, I can't make it work here. What I didn't realize was that it was okay when cap rates compressed. Now I know <laughs> with all the experience. Well, I mean, you know, I. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I, I wouldn't have told you to do anything differently three years ago, you know. That's right. And so now I know that as long as you have the fundamentals, it's okay to have the cap rate compressed from seven and a half to five and a half mm -hmm. if the fundamentals are there, the value add makes sense, and, and it passes the models. But I didn't know that at the time. So I ended up just traveling the world, by the way, became a digital nomad, 
and lived in 19 cities in Europe, Central, South America, all over the world, because I decided to kind of like live a bit um, and invest internationally and look for other asset classes. How did the international investing go? Um, it's a mixed bag, in all honesty. Um, I think it's it's interesting because you'll always meet some Americans, Canadians, Brits who are living overseas. Where, where are you from? I'm sorry. I'm you from England. Accent. I'm from a place called Nottingham in England. I call it Robin Hood country. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, I was internationally minded anyway. All my friends are all over the world. And I just started traveling. And, and you network and you meet a bunch of people like us in these far-flung countries. And some people know what they're doing, and most people don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the problem is we call it being gringoed <laughs> overseas because <laughs> they see you coming down and they're like, you know, they buy you a few drinks and give you a nice glossy marketing brochure. And they're like, hey, yeah, look at what you can do with this asset class. And most of it is um, not well thought through. So Sure. But you've got to do it. I mean, so I got an MBA in international property investing. Awesome. <laughs> you know. So tell me about the uh, agriculture. Um, so the ag was an interesting one because when I first went and asked my Silicon Valley peers what I should invest in, most of them took me towards U.S. real estate. Many weren't specific. They were in syndications, private equity, you know, various other stuff, single family themselves. Um, but I met one advisor who claimed, and a lot of these people claim these things, that they managed a bit of the Zuckerberg's money because it's Silicon Valley. And, you know, you, you kind of listen to these people with a pinch of salt. Is it true? I don't know because they can't disclose it and you can't prove it. And, you know, anyway, so they'll deny it. Um, but he turned around to me and he said, um, he said, listen, Peter, he said, the very high net worth individuals or family offices they own between 14 and 22% of the portfolio in agriculture or forestry product, products. And I was like, well, why is that? And they said, because it's a non-correlated asset class and it passes wealth through generations. It's intra-generational wealth passing. I was like, why is that? And you dig a bit deeper, and this is where I've ended up, is that you can coconut, you know, plant a coconut tree, wait five years for it to produce coconuts, and then starts to produce decent income, maximum produce at year eight, and then it keeps going for 60 to 80 years, depending on genetic. So not only do you have land appreciation, not only do you have cash flow from the harvest that increases with inflation, but then you can earn money from it during your lifetime and pass it to your kids or heirs in the future. And that is the power of agriculture as an asset class. Inflation-proof, intragenerational wealth building, and completely uncorrelated with everything else I own. Awesome. So you use coconut. That's not, that wouldn't be my go-to for, uh, uh, for an ag. Uh, do you own actually uh, coconut fields? Yep. I own limes. I own avocados. I own mangoes. And where, farms. Where are these farms? Uh, mostly in Central South America. Okay. Uh, because the other piece about agriculture is that, um, so, so then the question became, all right, now I had this high-level macro theory. <laughs> going to put some of my assets in the stock market so I can be liquid. I'm going to put some assets in U.S. real estate, and I'm going to put some money into overseas farmland. That was my plan. Three buckets. Is there a reason you're not putting money into domestic farmland? 
you can't make money from it. Land prices are too high. Labor's too high. The climate, by the way, I mean, I don't need to tell you how little rain there is in California. Um, so, I mean, so basically, I went overseas and did my travel, came and digital nomad and just networked, and I just started doing ag deals. And it was amazing. So I lived in Venezuela when I was in middle school and mm-hmm. um, beautiful, beautiful area. And yeah. at the time, it was very flourishing. Caracas was a very flourishing city until it wasn't when Chavez took over everything and all of a sudden none of, none of the stuff shares anymore. It's all, it all belongs to the government. So is there like a, is there a geopolitical risk associated with investing in these areas and kind of how do you mitigate that? Yeah, there are. And so you don't choose countries that you aren't comfortable with. So I've got a, I've got a due diligence matrix and one of them is country. You know, and there's, there's many aspects to each country that you need to go through in detail. You know, does it have geopolitical lists? Is there a solid banking system and legal system? Mm-hmm. Is there foreign ownership property rights that we, you know, can live by in the U.S.? Is it the same in that country? There's a whole list of those aspects, you know. Um, is there the knowledge in this asset class? You know, are you doing it the first time or is there lineage in people managing these assets, like farming, for instance, in the case of agriculture. And so I actually have a due diligence matrix which looks at it on a country basis before you get into the actual crop or asset itself. Awesome. So what does what does Farmfolio do exactly? And so I started investing in Farmfolio's investments. They were doing a bunch of private equity deals, coconut farms, lime farms, that kind of stuff in 2015. And they kept performing. And I actually joined them last year um, okay. during so the this pandemic. Is, this is a so private this is a company ec- that offers up farmland ownership to people like you and me. Through, through like a private equity, like a syndication type arrangement. Nowadays, it's very different. So we actually have a product called Farmland Lots. They're land ownership titles. It's a piece of real estate. And so what we now offer is that you as an individual, anybody can do it. You can buy a piece of land, but instead of a single family home and receiving rental income, you actually have 220 mature Tahiti lime trees. And that produce is being produced, exported, and then sold on the stores of Walmart, Trader Joe's, Publix, you name it, retail supermarkets in the US. And so you're getting rent, you're getting harvest income instead of rental income. Awesome. Tell me about what that looks like from a financial perspective. So like how much, I'm assuming there's not the typical leverage component in this. I I can't imagine. Yeah, not, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. So we are working on that and we're making a headway. But but no, it's right now you have to pay for the full piece of real estate with the trees which, on. Which is how much? It's between, so just like a single family rental, you have characteristics. You know, what's the crop type? What's the tree age? Um, what's the longevity of the crop? What's the price of the actual fruit sales and how much margin can be made in the whole supply chain? And so the actual lot prices vary from $32,000 to $65,000 across limes and coconuts. And um, it depends on the tree age and the density of the planting of the trees. I mean, there's some characteristics. So, so I tell people, um, you know, come and see our offerings. 
look at the different styles and types of farmland lots and choose the one that's suitable for your portfolio. And what does a typical return look like? Um, so obviously we don't recommend or guarantee returns like anybody oh, else. Sure, sure, sure. But I think the goal of this actually is to try and give the same returns as a levered single family rental. So early years, depending on if the trees aren't at full production yet, you know, in the six to eight percent, and then when they become full production a couple of years later, try and get to those double digits and healthy double digits over time. Awesome. Yeah. So that's a so if if the end buyer is buying an, an actual piece of land and their own piece of land and they get the title to the land, yeah. I'm what exactly is farm folio? Are they just broker in the deal? Or are they just getting like a two percent sale or, or how does that or four percent or whatever? Like so, what so, you know, yeah. how is that structured? Yeah, so you have to think about it. So we actually go out and find the farms. So we're a real estate developer. Yeah. And so we go and find a big farm that's farmed at scale with the best produce in the best location. And then we break it up into individual parcels and, and then we sell you the parcel and then we administer it because in some ways you need administration. So we actually have people sure. part of a farm owners association. It's like an HOA, but better it works. And it's basically a cooperative structure. And so maybe there's 93 lots right now on this farm we've got for sale today. There'll be 93 titled owners. And you're in this FOA and you all have equal voting rights. And we basically bring in a third-party farm manager that you can hire or fire as a self-governed FOA. We then sell the fruit to a pack house, which you can hire or fire over time based on the fruit price you're getting. And so we're really there to kind of develop it, break it up, offer it out, and then administer the FOA so that you and me as lot owners can then kind of self-govern our product going forward. That's cool. That's a, a very cool concept. Um, so just just so I can understand it, because I'm I'm very interested, just so I can understand again from a from a yield perspective, you're looking at investing X number of dollars, say fifty thousand dollars. And then the first couple of years before we're like really up and running, you know, you got your build out cost and you're, you're, you're not quite producing as heavily. So the first couple of years you're, you're kicking off 6% and that's annual cash flow. Yeah. And then, and then once we really get ramped up, we're, we're getting to the double digits, like a, like a 10 to 15% return. Yeah, but it all depends on the crop type and the age of the tree, et cetera. But yes, generally. Sure. And then how long, I mean, what's the life cycle of this? Is this just kind of for, for the foreseeable future for 50 years or? Well, so let's take a couple of crop examples, right? So a Tahiti lime tree has a lifespan of 20 to 24 years. And so you'll actually get into a brand new tree. In year three, they start producing. Year four, five, six, they get to the maximum harvest at year seven. And you've got another 15, 16, 17 years of maximum harvest. And then we, what we do is towards the end of that, because it's like, um, you know, trees are like human beings. They don't like just drop dead one day. Their production declines. They, sure. You know, they'll, they'll get a bit bold and, you know, less hair. <laughs> fruit. 
Um, and then yeah, so what we do is we'll say, okay, over this four-year period at the end of that cycle, let's take out a quarter of the trees, replace them, plant new. Still got income from the other three quarters. And over a three to four, five, six-year period, you then replant the whole farm and start a new cycle over again. In the case of coconut, the genetic variety, we actually have a Malayan dwarf hybrid variety, and it's 60 to 80 years life cycle. So, I mean, what a great product. Yeah, that's so interesting. I I, um, I think that sounds phenomenal from a from a diversification standpoint, a non-correlated asset. I uh, I love the concept. Um, what uh what other risk might be associated with it that that I might not be thinking to ask about? So, so I'm going to do something special for anyone who's listening to this. Um, they should go to our website because I've got a couple of things there. There's going to be a a page which will give you the Farmland 101 brochure. Because the biggest problem getting into agriculture is there's nobody out there educating you. I, I was just to- thinking, where did you learn so much? You sound like a botanist, but I know just not a couple of years ago you were, you know, in a tech startup and before that. So, you know, where did you get this robust education on, on, um, I mean, I was traveling around investing in all these fields and just like, you know, getting in the, in the fields and just like talking to these, like, you, 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 you stick enough money in it. You'll learn about it, huh? <laughs> it's a, it's a gravitational pull. Well, and so also a bunch of my friends were invested on Simon. So I was the guy traveling. So I was going down there taking videos and I was asking the guys about, you know, what about the coconut crop? How does this thing work? And understanding the genetic and the characteristics of coconuts. I then do a video and send to my family and friends. So it was a pretty quick learn. Uh, but, but where we ended up, by the way, was when I joined Farmfolio, um, we've ended up doing a Farmland 101 brochure. We've got about 160 people in our company who are experts in all aspects of farming, supply chain, packing, you know, you name it. So we condensed it into this like Farmland 101 brochure. So people like you and me can learn and understand what is required. And the second thing I've got is my personal ag due diligence matrix. Because I had to build my due diligence process when I got into the asset class because there wasn't anything out there. And I'm happy to share that because I want people to know this. I want them to avoid making mistakes in the early days because the more people can do it the right way and earn from ag, the better we are as an industry to give people the returns they're looking for and make sure that these shady characters that offer stuff they don't really know anything about, um, you know, don't take your money from you. So I'm all about paying forward at this point. Awesome. So, so you asked about risks my due diligence matrix. So let's just take a simple category. And so you can go to the website at the end and we'll give a landing page and just pull down that matrix. Um, let's think about ag risks. If I'm going to a multifamily or US real estate deal, I'm looking at population growth. I'm looking at declining cl- crime rates. I'm looking at um, rent increase. I'm looking at condo and home value increase in that zip code. We have all that data. I have the same thing for ag. And so you look at the crop, there's characteristics around the crop around, you know, how long it takes to produce the fruit. What is the fruit selling for in which markets? Who are the major producers of the crop and who are the most consuming of the crop? And what price do they command in those markets? Um, shelf life, transporting. It's much easier to get a lime with an eight to 10 refrigerated shelf life to the shelves in Walmart than is to get organic blueberries, you know? So you have to think about transport and logistics. 
Um, you then have a big category around the weather and the climate. What makes these crops grow? And so I, I basically tell people, like, you know, we've got so much data out there. I mean, the world is amazing today. You could not have done this even 10, 15 years ago. So here's a simple thing. What does it take to grow crops? It takes sunshine, water, great soil, and an amazing farming team. So let's start with the water. I want anyone to go to the web browser today and put in worldwide precipitation in the browser. <laughs> It'll bring you up some amazing sources, all free, that show you a world map and show you where all the rain is and therefore where the best agricultural lands are in the world. And, you know, spoiler alert, it ain't California. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I get California people I'm calling me probably, these. Probably near the rainforest. <laughs> well, so it's, this is banned in, you know, the top of South America, Colombia, you know, like, you know, Chile, all these yeah. countries that have amazing precipitation. Um, and so, like, you know, I get people calling me from California saying, hey, um, you know, for your farmer offering, what are the water rights? And I burst out laughing because there is no rain. Therefore, in California, you worry about the rivers and, and the, you know, the underlying water under the, under the ground. And that doesn't matter in these places where there's massive precipitation because you've got rain all day, all, all year long. Um, so, again, you know, is, is there plenty of rain? Is there plenty of sunshine? Are the soils appropriate? Is the climate appropriate generally? Do you have multi-generational farming skills in that country or province or location that you can leverage? Because again, just like with US real estate, your farm manager is the difference between success or failure in ag. In the same way, your property manager is your success or failure point in real estate in the US. So it's, 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 it's just like any other asset class. Get the data, trust, but verify. You can see a marketing, you know, glossy marketing brochure all day long, but don't just take it at face value. Work out the right questions to ask. Get the data for yourself in advance and make sure the operator knows exactly what they're doing. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Hey, real quick, I want to, for the sake of time, transition over to our uh, radio round. We just ask three questions to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. The first question is, what's your favorite book? Uh, favorite book right now is The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan. Okay. And this is really important because most of us are entrepreneurs. We like Dan, to compare ourselves to – go ahead. You have Dan question? Sullivan, why does that name sound so familiar? Did he write something? Um, he's a great internet marketer, entrepreneur, incredible guy. Okay. Um, and basically his premise is that we, when we start our business journeys – always compare ourselves to the people who are best in the industry. Mm. So you'd like, you know, compare yourself to Grant or to, you know, Dave Lindell mm. or somebody amazing in multifamily. Whereas in actual fact, if you look at the gap, it'll put you off and demoralize you. If you look at your own gains, the gap versus the gain. So look at what you did last year. What gains did you have from the previous 12 months and focus on those gains that's what keeps you entrepreneurial, keeps you positive, and shows you how you're doing, not against some mythical person who's been in the business 30 years, you know? That's great. I'm so guilty of that. I was I was bitching to my wife the other day. I was like, man, I saw somebody on Facebook. I was like, oh, they retired, you know, from real estate. She's like, yeah, but they're 60. They've been doing this 40 years. Like, you're 36. You've been doing it four. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I know. 
I, I mean, it's like farm folio, right? You know, people say to me, this is amazing. How did you like pull this off? This like farmland <laughs> lot growth. I'm like, you know, it was an overnight success, seven years in the making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, uh, what's your favorite quote? Um, I like the Russian proverb, which is trust, but verify. And the reason for this is, again, the glossy marketing brochure, you build a relationship with somebody. We as human beings don't want to upset people. You know, you build a relationship with somebody. You know, if I ask this person some hard questions, maybe they'll be upset. You know, I want to be liked by them. All of our own ego fills into this gap. And so I say to people, listen, um, it's okay to trust but verify. Take the data at face value. Work out the right questions. Ask them. Because honestly, if they can't answer them, this is never going to be a good relationship in the first place. So at the expense of upsetting people and having them not like you, get over yourself, take care of your capital, take care of what you invest in, uh, and you'll be better at the end of it. Absolutely. And what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Uh, sorry what's what's not working <laughs> a, it, it stumps everybody on this show because most <laughs> most most of us are like are like serial entrepreneurs that love work and you know what i'm saying so, and, and well, all of our well, spare time so, goes into uh, it yeah I, i've solved it finally because i love to travel mm-hmm. so i invest internationally so i can actually do what i love which is traveling when i'm working because, you know, when you're, uh, when you're business building, when you're entrepreneur, when you're like going through that growth phase, which we are right now, um, mm-hmm. hard to dedicate the time to a true passion. So, yeah, I, I just travel the world and, um, you know, I'm very fortunate to be able to do that on the back of my business um, investing. Awesome. How can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about it? I know you'd mentioned earlier your website where you give away some. Is there any other ways to connect with you? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll give my email address. I'm open. You know, I pay it forward. I mentor, you know, I think I've been mentored by incredible people who have paid it forward to me. I want to do the same for others. Um, so you can find me at Peter P E T E R at farmfolio.net. And if you want to bring down the farmland 101 guide, you want to bring down my personal due diligence matrix that I've built over the past nine years. Um, you can get it farmfolio.net slash Crestworth Capital. And uh, we'll, we'll hook you up, ask me questions. I'm, I'm willing to help anybody who wants to start the agricultural journey. Our goal at Farmfolio is that you have a Farmfolio as part of your portfolio. That's awesome. I love it. And I will certainly be looking into it for myself. Um, I think it's a great, like you said, non-correlated diversification play. Um, it checks a lot of boxes. So, um, thank you, Peter, for coming on and thanks for, for educating us. And, and I look forward to hopping on your site and, and diving even deeper. Um, we look forward to, to keeping up with you and, and, and following you on your journey. Thanks, Tony. No, and thanks for what you do for educating people. It's a fantastic podcast and I appreciate it from what I've learned from you. So. Thanks for tuning in to the rent roll radio show brought to you by Crestworth capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at crestworthcapital.com or rentrollradio.com or follow us on Facebook at rentrollradio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestworthcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.